All right, 14 after Pentecost, 13 after Trinity. We're on the way to the big days coming up. It'll be uh, All Saints and Reformation Day before you know it. Let's pray. Merciful God, we pray, kindle our hearts with the fire of your love that we may serve you and our neighbor according to your will through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, um, yeah, it seems like, I, for some reason, it seems like last year we missed Bible study so much, I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to be more zealous about not giving away the time, because there's, there's so much stuff to do. Uh, in a way, this may be uh, the year when a lot of heavy lifting comes to fruition. That is, um, what you've learned in the past needs to, uh, you know, sort of prompt you into your future. It's an interesting time for us. Um, last year we were trying to figure out what to do. Now we've decided in one way what we're going to do, and we have to figure out then within the shell of buying the Bible church and moving next door what it is that we're going to do. You know, churches um, flourish when they can figure out how to take the scriptures and apply them in unique situations, and every church is different. And so, you know, our task is to take the stuff that we've learned now and try to figure out in the next couple of years what it is that we're supposed to do. When you begin to think about that, um, you begin to think about the church's community, or you speak uh, in, the, in the title of Bonhoeffer's famous book about life together. Or you ask yourself what it is to live in an incarnate community. What is it for you? And I wonder if you can take seriously. And I wonder if we can stomach and I wonder if we can live with the notion that we are, one, the body of Christ, and two, everybody is in. And then we ask ourselves, you know, what that'll mean uh, for everybody being in and staying in. Uh, I'm always interested when people um, uh, are a bit miffed about not getting their way. And then I always want to say, it's interesting how it translates. I, I sort of didn't, it comes to me often as I was roughed up a bit, and then when I sort of check back, it just seems that there was maybe a good discussion and uh, the vote didn't go or the decision didn't go the way uh, one person or another wanted. And then, you know, the, the, the next step is, um, you know, out of church or out the door. That's, that's the craziest sort of notion if you ever read your Bible. <laughs> you know, one, one of the things the church is supposed to do, I'm not even sure that failing you know, failing a move to New York City, everybody, anybody should ever, ever transfer a church. I'm, I'm less and less uh, inclined to such a thing and more and more inclined to people um, sorting out their differences where they are and that being uh, the church. So you put that, that's, uh, that's sort of the maybe um, more on the minus side, on the plus side, is the people who are willing to uh, gather around the altar and read their texts together and do as uh, the early church did in Acts 2, devote themselves to scripture and prayer, the Holy Supper, uh, and a common life. Very interested to see what that might look like. And I wonder if we can take seriously then, uh, and actually I'd forgotten long ago, I, 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 it's funny, I haven't pulled this Wall Street Journal bit out, uh, and I didn't steal the title intentionally, though probably there in my subconscious it was. I haven't looked at this article for a couple of years. Uh, I was going to say five years. This is 97 when I printed it. I probably haven't had it out for some years. But there is this real notion that the church is meant to be heaven on earth. And uh, I don't know that if I asked any of you if you would describe the church as heaven on earth, I don't know whether you would describe it that way. 
Uh, you know, I don't know that I would, but it's possible. And it's meant to be that way. And the question is how it can be that way. Um, especially in American society where we're so given to ourselves. You know, we live in a, in a different sort of world. So um, I give you the title uh, both assertively, Jesus comes to earth and so heaven is on earth. But I also give it to you hopefully that uh, of all the places you go in all your life, you know, this should be the place uh, that is closest to what heaven would be like. So I just sort of start you down the line here. You know, where are we today and what our future together can be? And um, this is very much from the text on, the, the gospel text for today, you know, faithfully evaluating, faithfully thinking, faithfully struggling. I mean, I, I think I've said before, the, the whole process of moving into the purchase of the Bible Church was one of the most remarkable things I'd ever witnessed in terms of the committee. That was, that was just a remarkable, remarkable thing. It was a pleasure to watch. Uh, it's a proof for the church. You know, it was some, really something to be able to faithfully evaluate, faithfully think, faithfully struggle, faithfully rejoice in, to plan, to shape. And in some sense, it is true that we shape our own reality. You know that this is true in your own life. It's true in your own career. It is true for the church as well. We shape our reality in large measure. We can be hopeful, we can be kind, we can be loving, we can be welcoming. Those things are all open for us as gifts of the Spirit. Those things are all possible for us. These things, we can have those things or we can neglect those things and then we become something else. But I pull for you, uh, you know, what we did in Philippians now, it's been a couple of years already. Uh, the practical matters that lie before us uh, if we're to do what is best. And you remember that Jesus never settles for second best. Jesus is very forgiving, and he's also very kind to the struggling. To people, people are struggling to do their best. Jesus is remarkably kind and encouraging toward that. But Jesus has extraordinarily little tolerance for Pharisees who suggest that they've arrived or for publicans who think uh, it just doesn't matter. Jesus is extraordinarily intolerant of that. He is the bread of life down from heaven. Uh, and honest to God, he expects you and I to pay attention and to live within that gift. Now, a couple of years ago, you know, we spent almost a year talking about what it was to have a common life together, what is best. And you remember, just to kind of rehearse this, you remember that best was defined as what is selflessly loving, agape, what is deeply insightful, Christian maturity, and what is thoroughly obedient. We, we, sort of, we sort of know it and we do it, and it all comes out of the selflessness of Christ. So you should have that. This will be the year, I hope, that things that you sort of pull from all corners of things that have been in the past and we try to do the heavy lifting here. And honestly, you know, and I, I will say this more, you know, strongly perhaps than I've ever said it before. Bible study together is where the heavy lifting is done, not in a voters meeting. You know, the, the heavy lifting 
of thinking and speaking and listening and struggling is done with a text in your hand in the midst of the community where you are located, into which you are baptized. That is where the heavy lifting is done. Uh, a voters meeting, anybody can come to a voters meeting and mark a ballot. That takes no particular talent or insight. What really takes faith, discipline, joy, patience, what really takes the fruits of the Spirit are coming together with a bunch of people who are equally talented and equally bright and trying to chart a course together. That's what takes some, some, some doing. So you ask yourself, you know, what it is to be uniquely St. John. And one of the things I, I've said to you over and over again is you pastor the congregation that you've got. And the other side of that coin for you is you live in the congregation you've got. You live in this congregation, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. You know, this is the congregation you've got. And you really need to think about that. I, I think I've told you that one of the most difficult things for me is when I have a call. It's, it's utterly distracting. Um, because when I'm thinking about that, I can't think about this. And so, you know, it's why I'd left my name off a call list for years and years. I just didn't fill out my paperwork. It wasn't really playing fair, but it was very comfortable. Uh, you know, because if you're thinking about, it's a little like your marriage. If you, if you think about your marriage as, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'm leaving. You have a whole different way of thinking about life than if you think about it as, I'm married, I'm staying, now how does this work out? It's just a different way of thinking about it. I know we're not used to this. I know this particular church has some history of people going. Um, I also know this particular church has some history of people staying. It is great when I see people who say, I've been here, I, I love somebody who, who begins a sentence by saying, I've been here 30 years and, or I've been here 40 years and, there is just an automatic respect for people who, who are willing to um, sort of put their nose to the grindstone for 30 or 40 or 50 years. That's what the church is meant to be. So we're uniquely in this place, and it's different than any other place, and you're different than anybody else. So now, given that, you know, the task of pastor, the ta task of elders, the, pe the, the task of governing board, the, the task of people who are here is to figure out, given uniquely what this place is, you know, what's the Lord up to? That's really the question. And I remind you then, you know, kind of Psalm, the first line from Bonhoeffer's book. And I can give you, someday if you're curious, I'll tell you what I'm reading along the way. Um, but is, uh, you know, the, 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 the Psalm 133, one, how good it is and pleasant when uh, brothers live together in unity. That doesn't mean you're co cookie-cutter folks. You'll never be cookie-cutter folks. You're too different from that, for that. But you do, um, you are part of the body of Christ. You're part of this community. You've been baptized into it. So what in the world would that mean? Now, I thought about not giving you this. I'm at point two here. I thought about not giving you this. And I thought that, um, I would have a few of you describe who you are. If I asked you the question, who you are, but then I thought, well, then I'll embarrass somebody and that wouldn't be quite fair. But I, I thought, if I ask you who you are, just think to yourself, if I put the question to you, who are you? <coughs> Automatically, what I think that you'll give is a resume answer. And yes, I dropped the French last accent, I'm sorry. I should have dropped it on there. I couldn't figure out how to make my computer do it yesterday, I'm sorry. 
I used to know in my previous program. But if I asked you to, if I asked you to, if I, if I just ask you who you are, my guess is that you'll give me a resume sort of answer. You would say, I, well, Americans are famous for saying, I do this for a living, or I live in Chicago, or I, um, you know, I have a wife and three kids, or I, but that's always, almost always done online. People always begin with I, and they sort of tell you, you know, where they work, where they went to school, where they live, and, you know, wh what the latest award they won from the Rotary. That's how people talk in America. We're very individualistic. If you would, uh, and I'll just suggest to you, then that's responsible for people sort of, uh, sort of dipping in and out of a congregation, people church shopping, you know, people not sticking in for the long haul. I remember in my first parish, uh, there was a pastor, had been a pastor there and some, not in my parish, but there had been a pastor in the area who um, had been kicking up a little dust. And then as what happens is, you know, there's a voters meeting and sort of everybody has it out. And uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the farmers said to the pastor, um, uh, well, you may be the pastor, but we own land, <laughs> okay? <clears throat> now, there's a, for any of you who have grown up in a rural community, you know, you sort of get what that means. Basically, the guy was saying, you know what, my father was, I'm here, my father was here, my grandfather was here, my great-grandfather was here. You know, pastors come and go, but I own land. Well, in a way, you know, that's not a bad way to think about your life because it's a much more biblical way of thinking. For example, I give you the, you know, opposite of given a resume might be, to, rather than start, starting with I, opposite that might be the biblical way of saying we. In Jesus' time, you were not who you were because of who you were. In Jesus' time, you who, were who you were because of your family and social unit. You were who you were because of your father, right? Because of your grandfather, because of your tribe, because of your people, because of your city. This is, you see remnants of things like this when, um, I don't know if you've, you've seen, uh, uh, they're, they're, the Turkey is having this great difficulty where they're trying to modernize and coming out of sort of an archaic uh, Muslim bent in some areas where um, if, a, if a daughter uh, dishonors the family by having sex before she's married, it is the responsibility, it had always been the responsibility of the father to kill her to save the family name, and then um, uh, they, they passed a, a law saying, well, you know, the fathers will go to prison for that. So then it, it, boys have been brought up for the last couple of decades to know that if their sister dishonored the family, um, it was their job to kill uh, the, their sister, and they're, they're, they're sort of programmed into them. And what, what's happened then is then they pass the law saying, well, if older brothers do that, so now it's fallen to even the youngest brothers. Uh, and now it's sort of raised the suicide rate uh, among, among girls in Turkey. It's just sort of shot the suicide rate up because they, they kill themselves rather than, they're, they're sort of put to killing themselves rather to save the family honor. Now in a backhanded way, well, two things. One, we utterly can't understand that. But two, in a backhanded way, that's still a biblical culture. That's still a culture that understands that you're connected to everybody else first before you have an individuality. I'm not holding it up as a positive example. I'm holding it up as an example, of, as an example we don't understand. It's, it's why you were, you know, Ben somebody, 
you know, means son of. What's your name? Uh, you know, Ben Yamin, son of. So they thought of the world in a very different way. They thought of the world as family, as tribe, as culture, later as city, as nation. That's why the Exodus was such a big deal. They got to be a nation again. They got to be a tribe again. They got to have an identity again. They got to be a community again. We do not have that. And because of that, um, we don't, I think, extend ourselves sufficiently or think broadly about the implications of our actions you know, beyond ourselves in community. But I would suggest to you that is precisely what the Bible presumes about us. If we're going to live together as a community, if we live together as the body of Christ, the Bible presumes that we are all in it together and that our personal interests come second or third or fourth. Okay, that makes sense? You're sort of with that? So you're gonna have to think, this is one of those things where, you know, being an American culture in the 21st century does not translate very well for first century Middle Eastern culture. And it's part of the reason we struggle with this so much, that we don't understand community, that we don't understand the church, that we don't understand how to go forward, that we don't understand who we are. So what I want to try to do over, by looking at a few texts is to try to prompt you to um, see in yourself in a more biblical way. And I think then that all the things that the Lord suggests for us, that we live in confession and forgiveness, that we're able to admit our mistakes, that we're able to champion our successes, that we're able to uh, pull together for the common good, that we're able actually to say, um, you know, it, it's a fascinating thing to be pastor of a church that votes 80 to 20 to buy the Bible church. Now, that's a landslide in church voting. And I'll tell you, before the vote, there were some of us who, who sort of speculated, you know, what do we do if the vote is 51 to 49 or 55 to 45? Because that's a completely different thing than an 80-20 sort of thing. What does that mean for the life of a congregation together? How do you move through that? Now we're sort of past that. We sort of said, this is what we're going to do. Now everybody together, biblically, needs to figure out um, what we're going to do. When I was sitting in this interview this week with the newspaper person, the person kept pressing me about the brand new program St. John must certainly be offering. And then I said, well, no, we'll just be sort of doing, now I'm sure there'll be some new things, but we want to do the same old things that we've always done and do better. Uh, you know, I said, well, you know, so she said, well, I, I said, for missions, it'll be things like Ghana and England and Russia. That's, well, well certainly you'd do more. I said, well, well we, might, we might do those better. Or uh, we said, well, the school would certainly have opportunity. You get a second gymnasium and you get a second dining facility. And you have all sorts of extra classrooms. And we got all sorts of extra green space possibilities. You know, well, but certainly you'd, no, we would just do that. It was very difficult, um, I think, for her to comprehend that we would just sort of carry on with the things that we would do best and, and kind of organically figure out as we go together what might be good. There's always this American sense of, you know, we should, we should sort of put the bullseyes on the wall and then we'll hit them. Well, there is, there, is some, there is some good in that, but it's Jesus who gives you the bullseyes. So we need to kind of remember that as we go. Um, this is, I'm just sort of at point three. Uh, 
Maybe you could open a Bible. That's always a good thing to do in a Bible study. 1 Corinthians, you probably know this by heart. Uh, this is a text that doesn't... Uh, it always sort of... Uh, you know, it comes on the heel of, a talk, of Paul's little talk about sex, and then it's sort of always, because of that then, uh, then it always sort of is kind of a finger-wagging text, but I wonder if you could think about it in a different way. Um, 19 and 20, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, the temple is a place where the community gathers. And the temple is made a temple, you know, if you've sort of sat through new members or had a kid in confirmation. The temple is made a temple but because the Holy Spirit lands there. 1 Kings 8, the temple is just a building. 1 Kings 9, the temple is a temple. What happens between 1 Kings 8 and 1 Kings 9 is that Solomon prays, God answers, and he puts his name there. He, and when he puts his name there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he incarnates that space, and it becomes a temple. That's exactly what happens to you in your baptism. The name is put on you, and the Holy Spirit enters you, and you become sacred space. But it is not private space. So to answer the question, to whom do you belong, the very first answer is, you know, of course you belong to Christ. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. It's clearly, a bapti uh, it's clearly a, 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 an allusion to the crucifixion in Paul. I've, I've for chapter two, it was I've determined, to, or chapter one, I've determined to preach nothing but the cross of Christ. Uh, so, so now he pulls that back. You were bought with a Christ. You, you belong, in fact, to Christ, and that that comes off our tongues very easily. Even our littlest kids, you say, you know, who who owns you? Who's got you? Who loves you? Jesus. That's Jesus. But. Um, that doesn't answer the question altogether. In fact, it's a relatively, uh, it's an only an initial answer. I would suggest to you that you also belong to me, and I also belong to you. Or a stronger answer would be to say, to whom do you belong? I belong to Christ, and I belong to this community. That's why we don't do um, private baptisms except in an emergency. And that's why you say, we welcome you into the Lord's family. We receive you as a fellow member of the body of Christ. Boom, there it right is. And we sort of, that sort of slips off our tongue. What, what we're basically saying is, is you belong to us now and we'll care for you. Now, I don't know whether you are, have ever thought about checking your identity at the door when you come in. But you already, you do, of course, belong to Christ, you know. But we, we pretty much, you know, we struggle with that. But, you know, we'll let him have his way. He's big and he has a sword. So, uh, okay, he can, he can have his way. But I wonder, as you look around the room, I wonder if you can actually confess the fact that you belong to everybody else here first before you belong to yourself. And if you don't believe that, then tell me what it means when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Which means you can't distinguish your interest from the interest of the community. In fact, in some ways, you can't distinguish your identity.
from the identity of the community. And of course, you know what the payoff is going to be. I'm going to, of course, ask you then what difference this makes in how you speak and how you act and how you conduct your lives in this place. If you actually come into the community and you actually believe you don't belong to yourself, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. What does that mean? It means A, you belong to Jesus, and B, you belong to every other person in this room before C, you belong to yourself. How would that make life together different? And isn't that the sort of church that Jesus wants? And wouldn't that solve all sorts of troubles? And wouldn't it give us a future that is extraordinarily hopeful? In fact, wouldn't it make the kind of school that wouldn't have enough chairs and the kind of church that would be standing room only? I just sort of put it out to you there as the possibility. This is what Jesus offers us. And we succeed insofar as we will have what he's willing to give. But it is, it is a completely different way to think about your life. If you think about your life first as community and second as individuality, you're completely out of step with America in the 21st century. And you're completely out of step, frankly, with most Christians who can only emphasize my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which really breaks down to my private relationship with Jesus Christ, which really breaks down to it's all about me, which of course is antichrist. Heresy comes quickly, you know, the slope is slippery. So I wonder if we could think about ourselves in a different way. This is at point five. Begin with the notion that heaven has come to earth. And for your own fun later, I give you um, this rather famous story that's retold in different ways about how the Russians became Christian. You know, they became Christian because, in general, they became Christian because when they arrived at Hagia Sophia, uh, they were overwhelmed by the beauty of what was divine. That's remarkable stuff. And I wonder if we could be the sort of community that would overwhelm people with the beauty of those things that are divine. I just think about that. And if we could start that process with persons, with people, probably a better way to say, since we're talking community, with people collectively, I wonder if such a thing would be possible. Jesus says it's possible. In fact, it's what it, he means. It, it, it is what Jesus means when he says, you're the body of Christ. That's what he means. So the possibility is there, and there's a history of it working. Or I'd put it to you in a different way. If God were here, what would he be doing right now? If you, if you pose the question, and, I, and I, you know, we sort of nod at this, and, and we try to sing about it and talk about it and preach about it. But... Has it, is it down in your bones that God is actually here? And if he were here, what would he be doing? If, uh, with apologies to Alanis, you know, if God were one of us, you know, what would, that, what would that be like? If God were present here today, if we actually confess the fact that he's present, 
I'm not, I'm not asking what you would be doing first. I'm asking what he would be doing. You know, what would he be busy with? In, just look around the room at the people who are here. You know, look more broadly. I, I'm just posing the question for you. What would he be busy with? And then we can pose the question for ourselves. Would we be busy, or maybe it's better to say, would we be content to be busy with the same things? Would we be disciplined enough to be busy with the same things? Which means we'd need to put our uh, needs and wants below his needs and wants. Would that be a possible thing for us? And isn't that what the church was meant to be? In fact, when the church has worked, and there have been times you know, from time to time in the history uh, of the world when the church has worked or when the children of Israel have worked, when the church works, why does it work? What does it look like? Well, it, it works because it is doing what God would be doing if he were here. And so faith is simply to agree with God, to say what God says, and to do what God does. Um, I really promised myself I'd get done today. You know, I have this history. There are so many, so many, so many people asking how, how First Peter could be stretched into such a long thing. Sure, how could such a short book take so long? Um, I'll give you a hint then. Six ecclesia is a Bible word for church, from the word kaleo to call, name, or invite, which is exactly how people get into the church. You're called out. Pentecost, they're preaching. Boom, 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 boom. You're invited. 70% of the people who come to church come not because there's fancy advertising, but because you say to them, my church is really good and you should really come there. My, my school is really good and you should put your kid in the school. That's why 70% of the people who come, given all the snappy advertising and things that people do, 70% of the people who join the church kind of year in, year out, they join because one of you said, my community is really great. Or I'm in a community, there's a community that loves me. Well, I'd like that too. You're invited in. And from that word kaleo, to be called, the assembly of the church, the ones who are called out. It's the Old Testament reading for today. Uh, Abraham. Back when your people were beyond the, the, the Euphrates, when they weren't really a people, the Lord came and he called them out and he said, let's move from Ur to the only place in the Middle East with no oil. And then uh, <laughs> Abraham said, well, I think that'll be a good idea. Uh, for some reason. So, you know, um, you know, people always get called, named into the church. How is this child to be named? And we baptize them. And once they're named at the font, then they're at the church. They're in the church. Hey, how, do you, how do you get to be church? Well, um, you're invited in. I think I told you, um, I told you, the, I've told you the long story about, you know, this, these guys who, who went to I told you the story a hundred times, so I won't belabor it. I'll just tell you the, the middle bit. You remember there was a man who left his wife, and then the elders said, well, we'll go get him. And the women stayed and prayed with the woman, and they went to get the guy. And when they knocked on the door with the woman that he'd moved in with, um, they said, they, uh, he yelled from the back room, um, tell him I'm not a member anymore. And then the big elder, you always have to have a big elder, he, he stuck his foot in the door, and then he said, you know, we tell you when you're in, and we tell you when you're out. 
You don't, you don't get to decide to join a church, and you don't get to decide to leave a church. We baptize you in, and we excommunicate you, or translate, uh, tra transfer you, or bury you out. The community decides if you're in or if you're out, not you. It's a kaleo. You get called into it. You get invited. You get named. And so, you know, the church is what gets called out of that bigger thing. It's a different world. But we, we don't think that. What happened is we, we, we tend to bring all the baggage we've got and all the ways of the world, and then we say, well, we'll just sort of impose that on this particular group. And then you have all the things that go wrong, politics and secrecy and other agendas and different sets of values and uh, you know, sort of looking down on people when they don't make the grade instead of what the Lord describes as his church, which is people who come on their knees confessing and confessing they're forgiven and forgiven. Nobody's got anything against anybody else and not having anybody, anything against anybody else means you can live then in community and at peace. How good it is when kindred live together in unity. Yeah, That's a confession and absolution kind of statement. And you say this, uh, I'm at point seven, you say this every week. I believe in the communion of saints. And I'm just curious what in the world you mean by that when you say that. You actually say you believe in the community. Do you? Is that what that means or does it mean something else? So there's all these things. I mean, you may think that this is sort of just sort of grand departure in future planning. What I'm trying to suggest to you is we may not know the first thing about what the Bible, we may not know the first thing about how the Bible defines us as the body of Christ or as a Christian community. We may have presumed that we know and we may have presumed exactly wrong because all we did was impose sort of 21st century American standards on the church. And maybe we have it completely upside down and backwards. Maybe we don't even know what we're doing. Hmm, that would be interesting. So I just want to suggest to you that every once in a while, especially when we're trying to sort out, you know, what we should do, we probably should know um, who we are and what tasks we've been assigned. It might just be a good thing for us to think about. And it might be, you know, just one more chance to say, you know, what's this thing called church all about? And how is it different from the Rotary Club or when you have coffee with your next door neighbors? And you know what, if it's not different, then we should not buy the Bible church, we should sell this church and leave. If it's not different. The other side of the question though is, we've sort of said it's completely different. We sort of said it's completely different and it's exactly right and we better know what it is that we're after. We better know that. We better know what Jesus wants us to be, and we better live by that, because if we don't, Jesus will not bless us. He's not going to bless us into evil, and he's not going to bless us into something contrary. He, he can only bless us. He will only bless us. He can only bless us into what is good. So we better be very thoughtful about what it is that Jesus would do if he himself were here, and what it is that he bids us to do. Uh, yes, and I know that that sounds to make Jesus as judge. He's very forgiving, and he loves a struggle. He loves to work with you as you struggle into the next thing, but he is, he won't be other than he is. Last thing, if you really believe that the church 
is Christ embodied. That Christ embodies the church. Then Christ can't be unfaithful to himself. So he will utterly, he'll lavish blessings on things that go in his direction, and he will turn his back on things that do not. And so it's critical for us as a congregation, especially at this point, but always, to kind of think about what is it, what we should do, what we should look like, what, 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 how we'll act, what we'll tolerate, what we'll champion, what we'll forgive, and how we'll go forward. It is, in one sense, the most theoretical of all things. You're going to have to study the text. Because you can't import the worldly stuff into the church because it's not the world. As Jesus says in the gospel for today, you know, there is spirit and there is flesh. Those are John's code words for heaven and earth or holiness and sin. They're spirit and flesh and they have nothing to do with each other. Okay? So what you need to do is figure out um, how to play on the side of the angels. That's what I hope we'll try to do. Okay? It's very important for us in our life together. All right, um, that's just a little intro. We'll, uh, i just tell you where I'm going is point eight, which is I'm going to try to work on these four points, that Christ is present, that Christ embodies God, that Christ embodies you, or it would have been better if I just said us, and Christ moves us to do what we could not do and would not do without him. That's where we're going for the next few weeks until we sort of figure something out. All right, let's pray and let's go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks.